0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin. And for today, our guest is Lisa Moore. Uh, Ms. Moore is a physical therapist currently practicing up in the Pacific Northwest. She has a fascinating background, which I'm going to let her get into. And we're going to be talking about pain, and more specifically, pain and cancer. But Lisa, thank you for coming on the show today. And um, again, thanks for being here. If you can give us a little bit of information about you and what you do
1: sure dr kevin thank you for uh inviting me to chat today um i've been a pt for 24 years uh, i started as a massage therapist but uh just really wanted to grow and expand from there so i went back to pt school um i've worked in a variety of settings uh, started with understanding some more pain science concepts just a few years ago um i'm a 200 hour certified yoga instructor uh, I've gone through uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction training uh, and um, mindfulness for uh, physical therapist through Carolyn McManus, uh, and I'm just about to complete uh, functional nutrition for chronic pain with uh, through Joe Tata. And for the last year, I've been working uh, primarily in an oncology setting, so all of the patients I see are people that... Either just just started their journey through uh, cancer treatment, or are um, at any part of the spectrum in treatment for uh, cancer.
0: That's fascinating. So, you um, and it's interesting to me from a pain perspective is there's quite a few massage therapists that have. Well, I'm a little bit. I'm sure my lens is biased here because I'm obviously only seeing the ones that are interested in pain. But there seems to be quite a few massage therapists that are interested in pain. Were were you? Interested in
1: pain before
0: when you were doing massage, or did that evolve when you were doing PT?
1: Um, you know, I think it started from an interest in pain. the The, the seed was planted years ago with my father, who had chronic uh, back pain, and of course, I was the, you know, the helpful daughter that would rub his back, and he said, "Oh, you need to be a physical therapist someday." Uh, <laughs> and and he also said I should be a nun, so I, I, <laughs> I cho- chose the first path, but it, but it did lead to the massage therapy side of things for sure.
0: Interesting. And then you, so twenty four years of physical therapy, but you said just recently got into the pain science uh, aspect of it about two or three years ago. and what what spurred that interest?
1: Yeah, excellent question. You know, I, I think like like I hear from many others on this journey, I, I was seeing folks that were having pain and struggling to always understand why one person, would respond well or seemingly have just some resiliency in whatever their experience was. And other people would just, it it just wasn't the same and and I was struggling to understand how to help them. Um, And so just kind of following journeys and try to search that, that led me to uh, a course down in Portland that you and um, Sharna Prasad and Leanne taught. So that kind of blew my mind from there.
0: Yeah, that was uh it was great to have you there but in, and it's in, but it's interesting that you brought that up because that was you know I'm listening to you talk about that inconsistency and that definitely paralleled my own path <laughs> where there's this confusion when it comes to pain but you know we we and it's so frustrating now kind of when you're on the other side and you're looking at people still struggling with this that it is so glaringly obvious when we're looking at pain and then we're going well why is it that this person's getting better when this person isn't when the quote unquote pathology is exactly the same and I'm doing, you know, the exact fix it technique in the same way. And that inconsistency, yet rarely people question that, you know? And, and uh, so I, I would kind of dive delve into a little bit more is, is you, you started the questioning. So why, why were you questioning that kind of discrepancy there, rather than a what I see a lot of people do is just say, well, it works. And it, if it didn't work, it, um, you know, if it works, it's, it's because I did the great work. And if it didn't work, it must be the fault of the patient. They just didn't want to get better or, or something else. So why, yeah. why, how did that change for you?
1: Oh, interesting. Well, well, because I, I didn't like that blaming, blaming the patient side of things. Um, and, and I always felt like there was something different in the picture. So I would look at at some of the similar cases, like you say, where the the pathology may look the same, but I could sometimes put folks in a couple of categories, and one would be a high anxiety quotient. And I would just have a tendency to look and say, sometimes it seems like folks that have more anxiety seem to have a harder time processing through this pain, but but why? And I didn't understand why. Um, And so it's just, I felt like we were failing, and I was failing my clients, um, and not helping to facilitate a better resolution for them, so it just wasn't satisfactory for me in my practice.
0: Yeah, and, and um, yeah, I, again, I, I understand that because because so many of us, like you mentioned, that's kind of the start of our own journey there. And I think that in a lot of ways is what I've noticed with phys- with clinicians. I wasn't going to say physicians, but people that that I that I see making a difference out there, like a true difference when it comes to healthcare, are people that again, approached it like you did, where where it's not, you know, where it, we stop blaming whoever it is that we're supposed to be caring for. And instead, we start taking responsibility on what are the things that we can do? How can we start addressing these discrepancies? How can we understand these problems more effectively so that we can do what we are, you know, and provide the value that we're supposed to be delivering, you know, helping, and we're supposed to be helping our patients. Exactly. Um, so it's it's so great to hear that. And so you went to Portland and you did that training, which I think now I'm I'm kind of hazing out here. Like, was that 2017 or 2018 that we did that? Yeah, but right, Two or right three in years ago. Area, yeah. And what happened there? Because uh, the other part is I, you know, I obviously didn't know you before you went into that training. Um, w- what were you expecting when you went in?
1: Um, you know, I. I dabbled a little bit with Butler and Mosley, not, not a lot, but I knew that there was a different school of thought, so I, I just went in really open-minded trying to figure out what is this school of thought, and I thought I might get some just, you know, just a simple tool here or there that, oh, if you just do this technique or that technique or change your phrasing here, um, I, I, I did not expect to really completely challenge my belief system about um, what I thought pain was, um, and what I was taught about what pain was, um, and that just shine the light on my words and my vocabulary when I communicate and how I was using harmful language. So it was so powerful for me to look at that. But then on an even bigger note, I could really take a, a personal inventory of my personal pain experiences And what was happening in my life at that time and all of the things taught in that course really put it together this was a really stressful time in the life this was these were the emotional factors going on these were the stressors this was my belief system at the time and it was like that makes so much sense so it was it it, it was transformative
0: yeah and and, uh, again this is paralleling again a lot of discussions I've had with some phenomenal therapists is it almost comes from a point of personal transformation on your understanding of pain, before yeah. you could deeply embed this in your practice and start delivering transformation to others. Yes. And w- let's, so let's touch on that because that transfer trans- that transformative piece can be very difficult. And you and you kind of touched on it. Your belief systems were were challenged and kind of uh, pulled apart a little bit. So where where did you start? What were your beliefs when you went in? And then how did those evolve through the program?
1: Sure. So, um, just, so just from a personal story, I had a, an episode of just insidious onset, stabbing, neck pain many years ago um, uh, with the ridiculous symptoms down the arm. I mean, I, would t- I could tell you what dermatome it was. I, in my mind, I knew it was a herniated disc. Um, I imagined that I was going to have these symptoms forever. Um, I didn't want to go see a doctor about it because I didn't believe in injections and I thought th- surgery might would paralyze me. Um, and I just accepted that perhaps I would suffer forever. Um, I always had hope and I was always someone that did movement. Um, so I, that's how over years, it took many years, I, I was able to resolve it. But I can look back now and go. That situation in my life personally was an incredibly stressful time, um, and I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. Go figure. I felt like I had an ice pick in my shoulder blade. Um, And when that stress resolved and there was more freedom then the pain resolved. So tying those dots together and looking at what my belief system was about that after your course, it's like, oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course that was such a long-standing problem and if I had been able to look at it differently and my belief system about it had been different, you know, I had a parent that had had chronic spine issues, chronic pain, multiple surgeries, and so that really altered my point of view about what a a spine issue was. And then of course I spread that on my clients and on my patients. Your degeneration or your MRI looks like this. this is damage and really believing originally that pain came from damage instead of that synthesizing the um, the sensory input and the emotional input and the social factors and cognitive factors. Instead of that, um, I, that really challenged that thought process. But originally it was pain came from damaged tissue, period.
0: And if it didn't, it was something else. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and and that's kind of interesting there, because what, what I'm listening, and obviously we, we, having we had discussions previously, and I know some of the training that you've gone through, um, I, I want to pull out some information that people who may be unfamiliar with some of that kind of background um, may misunderstand. And what I want to say by that is you had this neck pain, and you had this these ridiculous symptoms, and you could describe the dermatone. And then you discussed about how, when looking back, you also recognized that there was all these stressors involved as well. Yes. And what I want people to um, to understand here is we're not saying that your pain, per se, came out of your stress. Like, all of a sudden, we have the stress oozing the pain pus out of it. But what we are saying is that that stress had an important contribution to how your pain was constructed. So um, to do that, to kind of pull that apart a little bit more, so that sensory element, like when you were looking back, um, what was the sensory, that, that sensation that you had from which that, that pain was kind of built around?
1: Uh, it was a like a, a stabbing shoulder blade pain that radiated to an ache into my right arm with, with weakness in that arm. Um, that could vary in intensity, but was pretty constant. Okay.
0: And and the reason I want the listeners to kind of understand that is that sounds prototypical uh, radiculopathy when you're actually having those symptoms and then you have uh, loss of strength in the same dermatomal element. Mm-hmm. And uh, why that I think that's important to understand is because people will typically uh, separate acute pain into chronic pain in the, I- as these two different entities. You know, acute pain is the damaged pain, and then chronic pain is the, we don't know, it's the brain pus, pain pus oozing out mm-hmm. everywhere. And what's what's f- fascinating here is, um, y- you know, when you can start pulling apart these elements and these contributors here, you can have radiculopathy, and pain, or you can have radiculopathy, including that sensory element, without pain, uh, and so that's you know being able to notice how those other contributors are is, is so 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 crucial here because I I mean I've I've seen it multiple times now where people had a rec- acute radiculopathy and severe pain. But rather than simply just focusing on the body, if you start looking around, you can say, "Yes, you have that radiculopathy, and you have all these external stressors going on. Let's mm-hmm. start targeting those as well." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to I wanted to pull that out because I think um, you know people will hear what we're talking about and they'll just say, "Oh, well, you're saying my pain's all from stress." And and I don't I'm not saying that. I don't think you're saying that either. Am no. I Yeah.
1: Okay. It was a contributor. It was a contributor, and I could make my pain go away, mm-hmm. and that puzzled me, because
0: <laughs> <laughs> it should be there, right? If it's if it's uh, if it's yeah. the damage is in the pain pus, then it should always be there as long as there's you know, quote unquote, damage. And and again, we, for the listeners, again, we know this is not true. Every person out there, you're you can you're when you experience pain, it waxes and wanes and changes, and that may um, occur with So if you have a broken bone, and then I take that broken bone and start grinding it together, you're more likely to experience more pain. Uh, But in the same type uh, uh, situation, if I grind those bones together, you might not, depending on those other variables uh, as well. So I I wanted to kind of pull that out. And that's going to lead us into um, what I really, really want to talk to you about is your work in oncology. So oncology, people, is uh, cancer pain. And again... When you see pain as acute or chronic, or or cancer pain, and you start seeing all these individual pain pus generators, therapy becomes very very confusing. Rather than having a core set of principles here, and most people wouldn't necessarily say that cancer pain, when you have sort of that tumor burden and it's growing, and the and we know that there's things happening in the body um, that that you can apply. We would call pain science in a way, or at least that knowledge of pain science. So, as you you so you don't apply pain science, you use it as as your as your strategic understanding, and then you apply your tool s- sets through it. But being able to understand pain in such a way that you can now help people to feel safe and help make people uh, help people improve, even in cancer-related pain, not through using opioids or or things like that, but rather through the techniques and skill sets that you have. So could you you talk about your work in oncology a little bit more?
1: Sure. Um, You know, the the patients that come see me, I see them in in every kind of end of the spectrum of their process. And and they can come in with pain that might be related to a surgery that they just had, perhaps a a surgery for breast cancer. That might be a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. Um, Sometimes... um, their pain for that is relatively mild, but I really I'm able to look at all of them, that whole person. So in that first assessment, what else is going on in their life? Where else do they have issues? And sometimes they'll come in with other pain. Um, sometimes it is pain related to um, metastatic process of the disease. So they might have metastases in the spine or or um, the humerus or the femur. Um, uh, they might have Pain related to radiation treatment that's causing radiation fibrosis and contraction of tissues. Um, or they might be having a pain experience um, because of some medications that they take. So uh, frequently after treatment for breast cancer, some um, patients might be on what are called aromatase inhibitors or anti-estrogen medications because some tumors are fed by estrogen. And estrogen, in my understanding, is, in general, anti so when you remove estrogen in the body, there's a potential for increased nociception. Um, and then there's also their understanding of what, what the treatment is doing to them, what their um, their perception of, of threat from going through cancer treatment, um, their, their fear of movement once they start going and what they've been told in the past. So that there's many, many layers of, what can be happening when I first see someone in the setting?
0: And so, those that that core understanding that you have is that allowing you then to because cancer uh, is, I mean, that's a complex disease process. Not only just from the biologic standpoint, where you have different types of tumors, and you know, uh, you know, and even in breast cancer, you have estrogen sensitive and en- estrogen insensitive cancers. Um, but then there's the complexity around. Just the diagnosis of cancer itself, the 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 psychosocial elements. There's fears associated with that, so so when you see someone with with cancer and pain, it isn't a singular experience for anyone. In fact, it's a unique experience for every individual. And uh, it sounds like what you can do now then is you can see the unique individual and you can start deconstructing that unique experience from you know having this large. You know being aware of all these other variables in there, is that am I getting that exactly. correct?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. so so my goal in my my first encounter with um with the client is is really to establish that therapeutic alliance. You know, i I don't get too concerned about checking all the boxes on my form, but in really creating um, that that safe space and listen and know them. Um, so that they have someone that they can trust and ask questions of and um, get correct information. Um, I pay special attention in my, you know, reviewing the chart review prior to seeing them if there's history of anxiety or or depression um, or even if there's a history of chronic pain and we will introduce pain science concepts on the first visit very mildly um, but also say we can talk about this more if you're interested. Um, and then I'm really, really careful about my words, mm-hmm. really, really careful about how I set them up, trying to create um, a, a setting of resiliency, of recovery, of support um, and empowerment. And if we can complete that first session with that and with them having some, some hope, um, then, then I think it's a really good start.
0: No, and that it, that just sounds uh, amazing. And uh, and a couple key variables here is because again, people on the clinical side will say, you know, well, I, I try to talk to people about pain science and um, it doesn't work, or they get mad at me, or or whatever. And and what you again, what you're what it sounds like you're doing is you are in you are planting some seeds. You're pl- creating a safe place for that discussion if your client would like to do it but even if they don't have that conversation maybe they don't want to maybe they're just looking for you, you know some they don't want to know the information they want you you to work with them um how are you making them feel safe despite not going into you're not, not having to describe pain in all its little details and start going into to all the little details about the science of it. It sounds like what you can actually do is then if they're interested in the science, you can go there. If they're not interested and maybe they're just resistant and they don't really want to have a discussion about pain and the complexities of pain, are, there's things that you can do for them
1: still. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It, you know, and, and it, it, A lot of that is just learning to perceive the cues as you're having the conversation. Um, and, and moving forward. so and, and if even if I have someone that's not necessarily receptive to the, the science he talk of things, which is absolutely fine, um, I can teach them to breathe. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the first things I do is talk about you know on, on this journey with cancer right now, how are you managing stress? Because I cannot imagine something that feels more threatening or more stressful than having a new diagnosis of cancer. So what are they doing to, to work with stress? Do they have a strategy? If not, let's talk about strategies to work with, with um, managing stress.
0: That's phenomenal. And um, have you found that they're responsive to that language that you're using?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They love it. Um, um, And and I'm, I'm a simple person. I like things to be in simple language and I try to teach it in a way that's really easy to absorb and understand. And, and, with with one of the first things just being how do we breathe? How do we work a little bit of diaphragmatic breathing? And then I try to coordinate it with movement, just simple movement, sitting in a chair, maybe just flexing the elbows up on an inhale and pressing them down on an exhale. And I like to coordinate the movement and the breathing as a way to kind of connect with kind of observation of their body um, and coordinating that. And it seems so simple, but it's remarkably effective.
0: <laughs> and it and it's funny because the simple this this the a, a simple tool that you can apply well is so much more effective than some of the crazy complex things that that people are trying to do out there. You know, you know if you can I guess sometimes I guess I, you know, I would be interested in hearing your perspectives from your patients. Is some people will hear? What do you mean, deep breathing? That's going to help. I have I have horrible pain. How is deep breathing going to help me? Well, and sure. yet, it, it is such a simple and such a powerful modality. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. What, what what are you are you finding that the simple the simple deep approach is better than the complex? Uh, you know, trying to overload people with too many think movements at once.
1: I I do take a moment to tell them that that the breathing changes their physiology. I think they like when I hear that, um, you know, I'm not telling them that it's in their head, but that we are we are trying to change their physiology and decrease the sensitivity of their nervous system um, so that they can be in a more healing state. Um, and that literally I talk about how the diaphragm is connected to the vagus nerve. I just do a real kind of glossed over version of this, but the, how it can change their physiology and what a powerful tool they have they can do to change their physiology. So when they know that there's an actual response physically, I I think they they like hearing that and they're more, they're more apt to do it, but then they also feel it. They feel the difference because we do it right there.
0: Yeah. And, and so what you're doing is what we call framing, like you're framing your modality in a way that makes sense to your client that um, is beneficial to your client and is demonstrable to your client so that they can then go through that process and 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 that extra explanation uh, again you're not overwhelming them with the physiology but but you're prime you know here's here's the technique here's why it's important here's how it'll work for you uh is such a an important skill set to have rather than again rather than just saying uh you need to do deep breathing because of pain right that's invalidating if you would say something like that
1: sure Sure. Uh, to me, I, whenever somebody tells me to do something, my first question is why?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Why? So, so I, yeah, I, I feel it's important <laughs> that I, I do that. If I'm going to ask someone to do something if, and they don't understand why, then I didn't teach it right.
0: Yes, yes, I, yeah. I, 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 I uh, totally agree with you. It's, it's so funny if we just started actually listening to people and, and, um, and thinking about if it was us, what information would we need? Mm-hmm. In providing that, mm-hmm. uh, and then in the context of how can you help people feel safe? How can you help them feel more comfortable? How can it help them feel more confident in their bodies again? Um, and it and it's not rocket science, right? It's it's pain science, I guess. But it's, it's not A- really
1: absolutely, science. absolutely, and that's how I, I I have to look at at you know, my clients and say, what part of the triangle, the, the pain triangle, can I influence? What, what part of this can I change? And, and there are parts that I cannot change. Um, and, so, and so the breathing and the, um, I would do body scan, um, kind of meditation guided uh, experiences with them. Um, we, do, we do movement. I, I work a lot on movement, what I call load tolerance or graded exercise. Um, and help them understand how that can improve um, you know, their function and then really working towards their goals, what they tell me they want to accomplish.
0: Fantastic. And then um, I don't want to take too much of your time here, but I, I also want to just talk about what has or how has your practice changed for you? Um, and what I mean is a lot of times what we see with, I don't like the word burnout, but I'm going to use it, um, clinical burnout. Everybody is... It is very difficult to find people in healthcare that are happy, uh, that are doing what they feel they want to do, or are, are finding uh, their jobs fulfilling. And a lot of large part of that, to be brutally honest, is with a lot of pain care. When we have people that have persistent pain, um, oftentimes that is seen as a difficult client, difficult patient. We start doing the victim blaming thing. And people can get very frustrated on that. So I'm kind of curious, since you're seeing predominantly people with cancer and related pain, again, of different durations and different contributors here, how have you seen your personal practice change in and, and your own? It, you, are you finding your work more meaningful now and fulfilling or, or less?
1: Oh, oh, clearly, clearly more meaningful. Um, beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I think. This new understanding has created a lot of freedom um, and reduced pressure. I can say reduced pressure because this framework empowers the client and I'm just a facilitator of empowering them um, at their level of willingness to change, to create change and to change their experience. It isn't uh, on me to fix this facet dysfunction or fix this, mm-hmm. you know, wonky knee. Or it, it's been way more freeing, um, and the connections, uh, the meaningful connections and conversations with patients, is is wonderful. I love that aspect of it, uh, and to see them take the information. And, and to see their experience change—that uh, it's it's different than any treatment I've done in the last 24 years. So uh, this has helped reinvigorate my passion for my career because I've been at burnout at least twice and ready to walk away. So uh, I'm as I'm as energized as ever to do what I do.
0: Well, that is that is fantastic to hear, and it's and it's so exciting because we need people out there uh, doing this work. And and it's it's so funny when when uh, you know I talk to people and. And you're saying you can you can revitalize your practice by working in pain. And people are like, what are you talking about? Are you insane? And yet, you know, you've been practicing for 24 years and, and you're talking like almost like a new grad, how excited you are. So it's so great to hear that.
1: Yes, yes, it's, it, it, it is wonderful. And there's so much more to learn and so much more to do. But I feel like it's it's really things that matter and things are going to make a difference and the ripple effect of It's going to be huge. And I love that.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on today. And if you ha- had, you know, a couple things is, is, is if you would, if you have an easy way for people to get in contact if with you, if they have questions, particularly if you're a PT and they're interested in what you're doing in PT, I'd love to hear that. And, uh, and, and a last piece of advice, like what would you, if, if someone's out there struggling with pain, either they're a clinician or they're someone with pain, uh, what would be your kind of number one thing that you would want them to know
1: uh, for for clinicians that are struggling I say um you know there's there's some really simple courses or simple books that explain pain supercharged uh, I think you have a course that really summarizes things easily and you're you're generous and offer it for free and it and you can start there. you can absolutely start there don't make it more complicated than it needs to be um but we have to change our our thought processes a little bit. Um, and, and for patients, I just, I I would say absolutely there's hope. There's absolutely hope that you can, um, improve your quality of life and improve your relationship, um, with pain and, and with your family and your loved ones and get, get some joy, um, back in your life. And I, and I believe that 100%.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And thank you so much for coming on the show today, Lisa and, uh, I, I will probably have to have you back on again so we can talk more about these stories because there's all sorts of other things that we can go into. We didn't even talk about your 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 yoga and we didn't talk about nutrition or anything else like there. But um, uh, again, thank you for coming on.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Dr. Kevin.
0: All right. And everybody else out there, until next time, stay well.